Now on the Business Radio X Network, Conscious Capitalism, elevating humanity through business in Southern Arizona. Your hosts, Sarah McLaren and Jeremy Neese. Southern Arizona does good business and we want to talk about it. Welcome to the Conscious Capitalism radio show and podcast, streaming live and on demand from the Tucson Business Radio X studio. Conscious Capitalism is an international movement promoting business as a force for good. The Conscious Capitalism movement has 40 plus chapters in the United States, including Arizona with lots of activity down here in the southern part of our state. We are bringing people together to make it easier for Southern Arizona businesses to do good business and to partner with others, um, other organizations who know successful companies value all of their stakeholders, including the communities in which they operate. On this show, we want to shine a light on real-world examples of good business happening right in our own backyards. We invite leaders in our community to share their stories and experience, to tell us about their personal journey through the world of business, and to let us know what their what makes their organization great and how they go about bringing value to Southern Arizona. If you'd like to learn more about conscious capitalism and the community of people forming around it, you can always visit ConsciousCapitalismAZ.com or ConsciousCapitalism.org. Or you can reach out to Sarah and I. Our profiles are uh, on the Business Radio X webpage. Uh, so let's get into some good business. Introduce you to the voices who are going to be participating in today's conversations. For myself, I am Jeremy Neese, one of your hosts. My day job is with Retirement Evolutions. We provide long-range wealth planning services for individuals, families, and business leaders. My interest in this show, Conscious Capitalism, and all of the other related people under that umbrella or organizations and ideologies is to make a life better for our human family. I've got young children. I'd like to think that we're going to have a good place for them to camp out at in the decades to come. So, And, and I'm Sarah McCarran from McCarran Compliance. Uh, we do workplace safety, specializing in MSHA, OSHA, and DOT. And our purpose is to create communities where we all watch out for each other. So that's uh, you know what safety means over at, uh, at McCarran. So for our guest today, we have Frank Velasquez. Frank is inspired by the notion to dare greatly. He leads and collaborates with passion, authenticity, and an open mind. A racial equity and social justice advocate, he connects the stories that make each of us who we are and are the stories that inextricably connect us to each other. And he uses interesting (laughs) tongue-tangling words in his bio. (laughs) (laughs) A natural storyteller, Frank loves the task of bringing uh, greater local, statewide, and national attention to poverty and inequity through the work at Job Path. Thank you for being here, Frank. Thank you. Thanks for having me. And we also have uh, Haley Toman. Haley is the Associate Director at the Direct Center for Independence. She is originally from Michigan and moved to Tucson in 2007. So she's been here a while, but not can't quite, you know, claim native. Uh, she spent over 10 years in the nonprofit sector, much of wi- much of, most of which has centered around educating employers on the benefits of hiring individuals with disabilities and then linking those businesses to resources where they can connect with job seekers. Haley believes the best communities are where everyone has the opportunity to be productive and that the most effective companies have a diverse company culture. Thank you for being here, Haley. Thank you. 
So, uh, truth be told, I uh, sit in this chair as a fan of your respective organizations and under your collective leadership. Uh, I first encountered you both at the uh, Tucson Metro, the Golden Cactus. Uh, it's golden or copper? Copper. Copper. See, I was so blown away by their stories, I forgot the name of the venue. Um, you were both nominated in the category of uh, workforce development, and uh, one of you two actually hoisted some hardware away. <laughs> that and would the, be linkages. <laughs> <laughs> everybody was worthy, there's no doubt. Um, so certainly with the concept of you know workforce development, uh, conscious capitalists, we need people in the organizations that uh, are going to help thrive or help grow and help organizations thrive. And so the services that you both are bringing to the community and um, society at large are just insurmountably huge. So thank you both for your time and your energy and, and your stewardship of what you're bringing to the table. So I think that's probably a good place to start. I'm a fan because I already know your story, but we should probably let everybody else listening kind of understand that. Either one of you feel ready to rock with that question? Tell us. Uh, sure, I can start. So. Um, Linkages up until January 1st was a nonprofit that really focuses on advocacy and helping employers um, tap into an untapped talent pool, and that's the disability community. And so we, you know, advocate to them on all the benefits of why to hire people with disabilities and, um, you know, just make that successful and link them then to candidates either through our partner agencies or through our job board. As of January 1st, we've joined forces with Direct Center for Independence. Nice. So now Linkages is a program of Directs, which is a really good move because they do a lot of work in advocacy in general for people with disabilities. So it's been a really good move. Um, Great. But I'm happy to focus on the linkages side of it since that is the piece where you'd like link to candidates and things like that. So, and I am Frank again, and I work with jo I'm the executive director at Job Path, and it's really hard to say what we do quickly, but I will do my best. <laughs> we got an hour, Frank. So Pace I could take two. So I, I, I got to be wary of that. So there goes that storyteller. I know. So <laughs> what we do in a nutshell is we are we're providing opportunities for underserved adults to get into really good positions uh, through job training and educational opportunities uh, and to get into uh, positions that are going to be that are in demand in Pima County, but are going to pay a livable wage. We want to make sure that they get into actual careers. Uh, so nursing, aviation technology, a number of other allied healthcare programs, and a number of other technical type programs. Uh, those are the programs that we focus on. Our major partner is Pima Community College. They provide training. They do the training. We provide the support. And what that really means is students come in, you know, and they don't realize the level, especially those in poverty, come into the college, don't realize the level of challenges that they're going to face and they come in unprepared and so what happens is they end up falling out we can come in and help them have a holistic conversation with them and say hey what do you need we're going to provide those support systems we can build other support systems for you we can leverage resources our goal is to get you to graduation and get into a good paying job and our results work 90 percent graduation rates uh, and 80% job attainment rates, and most incredibly, $33,000 increase in their direct wages from pre-training to post-training, and it's life-changing. No question about it. Boy, that's solid. 
Go ahead, Sarah. Oh, I was just going to ask. So, you know, lots of, you know, great stuff, important work that you're doing. But what would you say, in, you know, in your experiences in each of your, you know, your roles with these organizations up to this point, are you most proud of bringing, you know, into the community? Too many, right? There's a lot. I think we're like looking at. I each know other you're like, like most. You you're like most, most proud. Yeah, that is a deep one. I would say I think, and, and I'm probably going to stumble through this, but I think what I'm most proud of, quite honestly, is the impact we're making in the county. Um, we do an uh, an annual report around economic impact, and I'm going to balance this truly with. It's not just about the numbers. We get to hear the stories every day of our students. And I was sharing earlier with, with Jeremy and, and Sarah, you probably you did hear this uh, when you came to our office. Their stories are incredible, incredible. They're going through things I couldn't even dream of making myself get through. And so I'm most proud of, of the journey that they take and, and then the success when they get that job and they send that email to us saying, I got me a job. And it is in the 50, paying them in the 50s, 50 grand or more. It's incredible seeing their journey where they were to see where, where they are now. Yeah, I like that. So it's not really about, you know, some sort of number or statistic or, you know, how you've, although you've made huge contributions, you know, that you could quantify. It's about each individual story and how you connect with these people and just knowing how their lives have changed and they're, you know, in turn taking that out and changing other people's lives. Absolutely. It's pretty good. What do you got, Haley? Well, I feel like now I'm going to go the opposite angle, but maybe that's because when I took over as executive director of Linkages, um, we weren't necessarily tracking all the outcomes we were really focused more on inputs and so as we changed over the years we started tracking the outcomes how many people are getting placed by our partner businesses and that number has grown every year that we've been tracking it and that feels really good because it means we're refining our processes we're getting better we're getting more efficient the employers we partner with are um, seeing the value and maybe figuring out how to hire more people from us. And so um, that's probably what I'm most proud of as far as when I was the executive director of Linkages. Well, that's so. cool. You know, it, it makes perfect sense. So it's really great to, you know, to, to have that that connection, that feel, to see those personal stories. Every single story matters. And yet, if you don't, without knowing, you know, the the bigger picture and the total impact, you can sometimes, you know, get lost and in some cases even like lose your mission, lose your path a little bit. So that makes sense. Well, and I think one thing that I don't know if I was super clear on about linkages is we don't do direct services. So we often don't know the job seeker. We do know some. And so we have a few stories, um, you know, that give you the energy to keep doing what you're doing. But just due to different um regulations like HIPAA, we don't we don't have that information. We're truly advocates. And so, um, you know, seeing that data improve year over year really does kind of give you the mm. kind of like, yes, you're, you are doing something good. You are doing something valuable. People are benefiting from this. And every once in a while, we'll corner one of our partner agencies and be like, tell me a life that's been changed because you do need that, mm. too. You do. Absolutely. So Haley, let's talk a little bit more about those numbers. Help uh, everybody understand like what were some of your placement 
uh, opportunities over the last couple of years? And, and how does it work? Uh, uh, wh where does the rubber hit the road in your service offering within linkages? So we have people who boots on the ground are knocking on doors and collaborating with businesses, and they will help you understand all the benefits of hiring people with disabilities from um, you know, you're hiring someone who is adding to your diversity. Uh, being a person with a disability makes you part of the largest minority in the country and one that anyone can join at any time. It's pretty interesting. Yes, very humble. Yeah. Everybody's subject to be there. Right. Um, and likely we will all age into it. It's just part of life. So, um, you know, so letting people see that there's benefits to hiring people who've experienced life potentially a little bit differently. And, you know, sometimes you're going to get an employee who can think outside of the box because, you know, life has thrown them maybe a couple curveballs. And so they figured out how to overcome. Um, so that the tax credits will set will set an employer all up, and especially with the tax credits, I know when I say that it probably sounds like oh gosh, what it, what does that take? But it's literally like two sheets of paper, and our boots on the ground understand how to fill that out and where a, even a small business could put that into their hiring. Um, practices that way they start receiving that and it can be anything um, up to $9,600 I think is a if you hire, mm -hmm. okay. you can't take it year after year but um, for that initial time that you hire them it's over a period of time that first year you can receive up to $9,600 and that's for a disabled veteran and there's lots of different classes of people if you hire you could get this tax credit that's why it makes a lot of sense to put it into the um, application process and that's how bigger companies are taking advantage of it right it's in their applicant tracking system so that's probably one of the neatest um, benefits that we can help with and then we want to help them connect to those candidates through our job fairs they're completely free for employers. Our website, you can post jobs for free. Um, and you can just connect to candidates. And a lot of these folks come with partner agencies connected to them. So there's a whole team that wants to see this be successful. Makes sense. So I'm an interested organization. I've heard uh, your boots on the ground mm -hmm. help us understand how this all happens. I go to the website, post my job board, and then I... I get to interact directly with the job seekers at that point? Um, yes, you actually could search for them and message them. We have to approve you, so there is that layer of security. Okay. All the employers on our website, we do personally know. If we don't know you, we call you and say, how did you hear about us? <laughs> and why do you want to post on our job board and let us tell you a little bit about who we are? Um, but yeah, it's okay. that easy. And so last year, if you have numbers of the year before, yeah. how many people did you play matchmaker for? How many businesses, last year, how many individuals? We roughly? had um, 600 people placed throughout Southern Arizona with our partner businesses. That's phenomenal. <laughs> Thank you. Do you have any, I'm just curious, do you get any information about um, how long they're, they stay and if attrition or things like that? I mean, if you don't, that's fine. I'm just curious. No, it's a good question. We don't because we don't actually know yeah. who they are 
um, I could get into all of that. That wouldn't really probably be the funnest radio conversation <laughs> of like how we track and match whether or not we had an impact. Um, but we don't know who they are because of HIPAA, so we can't do any follow up. Um, but of the folks that we do know, and we kind of just are um, staying in touch with yeah. them yeah. informally, we do see that people stay. Or if anything, um, one person in particular, I got to help him out twice because he was like, I'm ready to grow. Oh, What's nice. next for me? Nice. And I was like, oh, okay, let's let's do that. Let's connect you to the next opportunity so you can keep growing and you know still working in tucson that's so cool you know and then the relationships that you have with the employers are long term which is Mm -hmm. you know definitely a measure of success because if they were hiring people that were leaving or that it didn't work out they would probably find another source right yep yep so that says a lot so frank you know uh for you you're you're you know a few steps ahead i guess in the process where you're helping to make sure people get the training before they're into the workforce so i'm sure jeremy wants to know about what your numbers are as well but just to help quantify (laughs) how many people you're able to impact absolutely i think um well last year well let me back up a bit so i'd say about four years ago we were helping serving 220 participants uh, every year. That has steadily increased over the last four or five years where we're now serving 300. And it's, I can say it's directly because of the outcomes. We have an outside agency that measures our impact in the county and they, they do it primarily through direct wage increases and then subsequent years they calculate it as, you know, over time this is what we expect that they're gonna continue to make. And it's incredible. Over the last 13 years, I believe the number is now over $600 million economic impact in Pima County over the last 13 years. And the job attainment rate part was really impressive because think of it this way. We, we're not a placement agency. So because we focus on in-demand jobs that are here in the county, employers are clamoring for our participants. Once they graduate, a number of them will even secure a job before they're done with um, school. So that really helps with the attainment rate. We can also offer a little bit more flexibility. And what I mean by that is we look every year at the programs uh, that are viable. Uh, we are, as I said, our primary partner is Pima Community College, but we have consistent meetings with industry, with employers. And if we see an, uh, a sector that is that is now becoming more viable, I'll give you an example, Mechatronics, which is automated industrial technology is what they've renamed it, but it's essentially manufacturing, engineer, engineering manufacturing technicians, and that is a, that is becoming hugely uh, a huge need in Pima County. So as a nonprofit organ, uh, organization, we can say, all right, we're going to support it. And it just takes a simp- as simple as that. That's the decision. We're going to support it. And then we go forward. Now we got to do the whole process of recruitment, getting students who meet our income qualifications uh, to get them through the program. So that flexibility really does allow us a lot to do some great work. Uh, and then, of course, what I had shared at the end was the the end result, the dollar amount of increase coming into the program versus coming out of the program. Uh, I think over the last 13 years earlier, I said it was 33,000. Uh, if I include, and these are preliminary numbers, uh, but if I include last year's data, that increases to almost 34,000. So over the last 13 years, $33,800 in direct wage increases. It's impressive. Yeah, it is impressive. 
And just, you know, the direct wage increase, that's what they made before the program versus what they make after the program. Yes. And the one other piece mm -hmm. I should add as well is return on investment. Everybody likes to talk about that. So again, over the last 13 years, the return on, on investment for every dollar spent, or I'm sorry, for every, yep, for every dollar spent, 240 goes back into the compute uh, into the community two dollars and 40 cents last year that was two dollars and 56 cents so all our revenue sources coming in we're almost tripling it it's again it's impressive the investment is worth the effort it makes sense you know again we talk about sustainable solutions to yep. our community challenges this and, is more than you know this is teaching someone to fish not just giving yes, them and, a meal and, for the day and as as sarah said earlier as she read in my bio the social equity and the racial you know social justice and racial inequity our work is around inequity you know we know that if it's they if our participants have equal access and opportunity they're going to succeed our numbers prove it but as i shared with you earlier jeremy i think the other benefit is their kids you know if you really want to help a child in poverty help their parents yep. invest in their parents and because we know that if their parents have a good paying job they're going to have better access to health care better access Everything. to education right Get down the line. Yeah, I think it's a exactly the right place to tackle it because, you know, everyone talks about, you know, America is a land of opportunity in the American dream. And yet there are so many social systems that are set up to make it easy Absolutely. for some people and really, really difficult for others. And so Job Path directly recognizes that with that, you know, problem with social equ equity and gets it right at its core and, you know, helps figure out, you know, what are the the things in the system that that create failures and how do we you know support somebody through that and then the other thing is you know uh, early on Haley mentioned about how sh they're helping to diversify the workforce because of the different experiences and you know sometimes even just you know how your brain you know works that some of the people that go through uh, her programs have same thing with you guys I mean you guys are are also bringing a different um, you know, person, you know, into the workforce and into these good paying jobs as well. Yes. Very important. Frank, you've shared some good human, I don't want to call them case studies because these are real people, mm -hmm. but could you share one or two of Absolutely. these uh, powerful? And again, without sharing their names, but I'm sure she wouldn't mind if I said it, but one recent one was a graduate who graduated last year, so in 2018. Her story is powerful, very soft-spoken. She grew up on the Navajo Reservation up in northern Arizona, surrounded by domestic violence, poverty, addiction, and she struggled. She primarily struggled after her grandmother passed away. Her grandmother was her, because her parents were addicts, her grandmother was the one that was her light. After her grandmother passed away, she struggled and... Um, and it took some time to get out of that. She ended up being with somebody, they had a child, and then her partner overdosed on drugs. And she found her. She found herself now in a vicious cycle again. And it was hard for her to get out of that. Uh, her doctor actually informed her. She went, got to the point where he said, you have two months to live. It's real, it's your decision at this point. She realized the impact it was having on her child. She did not want to leave her son alone you know she wanted to be there and 
I'm, that's why I say about the hardworking part. She she got herself up, realized the direction she needed to go, got herself to school, and that's how she ended up connecting with us. We we were able to help her get through the dental assisting program, which is one of the programs we support. Now she's opened her eyes to what's next. But the most important thing, which she shared at graduation, and mind you, soft-spoken young, uh, soft-spoken woman, 400 people in this room, and you could hear a pin drop. It was incredible. She had everybody in tears because she, as I said, an addict, got herself out of it. Now she's on a path to a great career. Now she's on a path to be to even higher education. She has goals. And it's not dental assisting is the first step to whatever the rest of her life is. And and what she did and what she's accomplished and what's coming up, I'm excited to get to know her even better. Oh, it's good for her. Well, I think there's just tons of people out there who, you know, their circumstances, you know, even, you know, choices have put them in a position like that. And everybody wants to do better. Everybody wants to do what's right and to be there for their child. But without something like job path, no matter how much you want that, it's not always enough. Your desire, you know, your human spirit, it's not always enough. And as you said, it's it's what well, you said earlier, it's equal opportunity, equal access. She did not have the funds to start the program. Dental assisting, dental hygiene programs are very expensive. So organizations like us, and we weren't the only one. She, we helped her leverage resources, but she also had some other resources. But together, uh, local agencies, nonprofits, uh, other agencies, as I said, worked together to get her through the program. Love it. So um, I don't, you know, this is conscious, you know, capitalism, and and so we we definitely focus or have a focus on capitalism and good business, and yet today we've got nonprofits in here. But you know, we think that number one, as a nonprofit, you still have to sustain. You still have to. You're still managing money in. You're still managing, you know, money out. And then the other part of it is that you know you're also a part of a whole business ecosystem. And so although you know, you may not be, you know, a traditional capitalist. We're all part of this community ecosystem that, that in, for a conscious capitalism point of view, are essential to making it work. So with that in mind, uh, what is it that, you know, what, what's important or what are some of the, 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 the steps that you take or your business plans to ensure sustainability and that you can continue to be serving the public in this way for the long term? Haley? Well, I think it's being, not to use like a ter- like a businessy term, but just being agile and always being open to the way that um, industry can change and new opportunities and you know technology changing. Like things can change so fast, and so just being really open and adaptable to that, and um, thinking of new funding streams, and you know. That's kind of our approach, thinking of different business models. and It makes sense. I mean, I think agile is a, a perfect word. I mean, you, you have to uh, not be tied down to how you do it, but what, why are you doing it and how are things changing? Uh, how do you continue to serve, especially as communities and individuals and, you know, even the businesses that you're, that you're serving um, change? So how do you do that? Like what, 
you know, just uh, an example maybe of, uh, uh, I know I'm kind of throwing, the, <laughs> throwing a cur- curveball at you, but just an example of, maybe an example of a change that you've had to, you've had to make along the way. Hmm. Well, how about direct coming in and, and absorbing linkages? Well, that, yeah, I mean, that's a really great example. Really, Jeremy's going to do the interview for me because I'm (laughs) so new. Yeah, I'm so new to direct. (laughs) But that is true. I should probably put that hat back on. Um, That was a way for us to combine administrative costs and then focus more on program. I mean, we have more now to put towards program because we were able to reduce some of the admin. Great. And just again, staying open. Right. Opportunities are there. How about you, Frank? It's interesting that you said that (laughs) because we are kind of like the opposite way. I would say that our programming was terrific, but we were stagnant. So the the board hired me because they really wanted to see we need to serve more participants. How do we do that? Can you think outside the box? What can we do differently? Because the problem is it's incremental. I should say. The number of participants going, going through our program, it's incremental. We know that if we can double those numbers, that's going to have double the impact on the county, and it's going to be an opportunity to do even better work and more work. So so in reverse, kind of what you said, Haley, is we were so focused on the program without thinking more uh, strategically on how to grow uh, and that's where we're focused now. We work with an organization called Social Venture Partners. We were It was a competitive grant process. We were selected, and they have been tremendous in helping me as even a new executive director, just as a leader in the nonprofit world. This is my first position in a nonprofit world, and again, I worked prior to that at Pima College, so they're getting me to see things that I hadn't seen before and investing in ways rethinking what nonprofit work means you know the illusion is is you got to put in a lot of hours and they're not going to pay you anything if we can get out of that or you got to invest in your a development so that you can figure out new revenues of of funding that requires an investment so they're getting us getting me to think strategically frank if you want to help double if you want to double the number of participants you currently serve You're going to have to invest in a development person. You're going to have to invest in this, invest in that, really target your marketing things. Things I'd never thought of before has really been impressive in regards to where we can take the organization. Because, again, the end all deal is we want to end poverty in Pima County. We want to end the inequity in Pima County. And we can do this, but we have to think strategically about it and not think as a nonprofit, but really think as a business. Yep. So shed the uh, scarcity mindset that a lot of yes. nonprofits have been straddled with for yes. a long time. Yeah. And that's actually, you know, a good example of exactly why, you know, we believe that, you know, nonprofits are, you know, perfectly housed within conscious capitalism. And a lot of the principles that are in conscious capitalism, um, you know, they all of them, I guess not a lot of them. It just translates. It doesn't matter. I think Jeremy says all the time where it's an exchange of, you know, a value regardless of, you know, if you are amassing a profit and distributing it to shareholders at the end or if you're, you know, you're reinvesting or, you know, you're distributing it to your all of your stakeholders being, you know, the people that you serve and be able to do something bigger and better. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's at the core of, of everything. It's it's the value creation, really. You know, the how do we innovate and continually find ways? If our organizations are going to sustain, we have to be thinking about tomorrow. We can't just be complacent where we're at today. I saw something really cool at the end of the year. Usually, you know, the, the countdown to New Year's kind of shows or whatnot are at least the ones I've historically seemed to catch are, you know, celebrities that left us this year and, you know, mm. some of the major headlines and blah, blah, blah. This one was kind of cool. It was things that didn't exist at the turn of the century, which was 18 years ago. Or, and um, Uber, Airbnb, Tesla, like all these things that are so quickly integrated into our society. Yeah. It's crazy to think back, like, really? That's less than a decade and all these things are here? And, and to me, it was just a very good example of we constantly have to be looking for ways to keep up. Otherwise, someone else is going to fill that space. And if we want to be sustainable, we want to be the ones to hold on. And granted, your mission's a little bit different. If poverty was gone and we had to Close up your office, Frank. I guess you know, that's we, we would help awesome. you. That, that's yeah. right. That is. Sorry, your organization had to sunset. If, but. We, if we can do that, absolutely. That is the goal. I don't want to have a job working in this. If poverty, if we can end poverty in Pima County, then I can move on to the next county to help them. Exactly. Yeah, or we, or we yeah. have a, a social structure where those things are just naturally taken yes. into account. We've baked and it into yeah, our other we've baked solutions. it into you know everything else that we that we do. So, and same thing, you know, with linkages and, you know, we, we, we were inclusive, you know, and, mm-hmm. and no matter who you are, we don't have to convince you that there's a place for everybody within, you know, the working community. We, we just know that. And that's a big part. Like you said that, um, you know, outreach and education is a big part of what you guys are doing at linkages and yeah, and helping people see that they don't have to just make assumptions, that there can be a lot, many facets to somebody and what they're capable of. And, um, you know, to get the job done, there could be a lot of paths to that end goal. And so just helping employers see that, because especially for small businesses, I think we get that, you know, you're wearing lots of hats anyway, so we can help you see how some of that work can get done. For sure. Um, we're talking about some languaging of conscious capitalism. Um, one of the concepts that we promote is purpose beyond profit. So as a nonprofit, you know, your purpose is pretty well spelled out. So a lot of organizations, we kind of have to go back to those building blocks like, okay, yes, obviously making money is critical or you won't be here next month. We understand that. But, you know, when the dreamers are cooking up, what is my, what is my enterprise going to be about? Usually it's not about. Well, I'm going to do what exactly what everybody else is doing and I'll make money doing it. It's usually you're coming with some level of, oh, I think I can do it better or I've got a new vision on how things can come to be. So um, you might not have a challenge with purpose, but I assume the concepts of culture and leadership and getting those in your employee, granted, they might be galvanized behind, hey, we want to help eradicate poverty and we want to help these people with special needs get jobs and help employers understand the criticality of that. They might be unified there, but what do you do as leaders to create a culture that allows this service dynamic to, to propagate? Well, I think Haley can agree, certainly in your previous role, when you're the executive director, you get to make the decision. You got to figure out how the culture is going to be. So as you heard in my bio, I think really the daring greatly part is I wanted my staff to have the courage to try things. Um, I know that when we try things, doesn't matter if we, we fail, but we've tried to see what, where we can improve, what can we do better. So I feel I've been very conscious about that, 
bringing equity. So we recently just, um, we didn't have documented values at JobPath, and we've been around for 20 years, since 1998. And I wanted, and certainly with Social Venture Partners' help, they wanted to help us figure out, well, what do you stand for? And Organ- as an organization, as an organization level, what are your yes. values as an organization? And so our five values came up really quickly and almost in unison and, and unanimous uh, thought uh, was courage, equity, community, integrity, and quality. And that is who we are. And that goes beyond just a, who we hire, but looking at our participants. And I really feel that that's what guided us was, well, what type of participants do we want for this program? We want them to have courage. We, they're they're already more courageous than I'll ever be. That's a big uh, one, Frank. I don't yeah. think I've heard many people articulate courage as a value for the yeah, organization. So I they, think it's important, no question, but to have that as a banner right. value is and then, really telling. And then the other four as well. We want them to be stand up. We want them to give to their community. Last year, our participants, 300 participants, uh, uh, volunteered over 9,000 hours Jeez. in the community. So that's a 30-hour average. 30 hours on top of their schooling. So we knew that this was something important. And again, as the executive director, we can make those decisions and how we want this culture to go. I think Frank did a great job. Linkages was much smaller. I mean, for staff, and that was including me. Um, You know, some days I think it was just feeling like are we all alive? Did we all like, you're just, you're wearing so many hats. Um, And so I think for me, it was probably at that time, giving my staff a lot of freedom and trusting them and making sure I had the right people in the right seat because I didn't have time to micromanage and direct isn't that much bigger. I don't have a whole lot of time to micromanage there either. Um, And right now I think I'm just learning. They have a really wonderful culture. Um, It's very family-like, you know, just checking in with people, seeing how people are doing. And I think I really like that, you know, whereas before, and I don't know if it was just the different roles for myself, but I felt a lot of pressure at linkages to like hold it all together. And now I feel like I have a little more breathing space, maybe a little, to just be with people and see how they're doing and see how they, you know, what do they envision the next step to be like, or what do they really want out of their career? Um, And so that's kind of a cool shift for me. I know I'm kind of talking more personally, but it's nice to be with your staff and help them, you know, grow with your organization. Yeah, it's essential. And And just just to add, I'm sorry, uh, we're not much bigger than you. So we have a staff staff of seven. And so part of the growth of where I expect job path to go, right to your point, Haley, I love the one-on-one conversations I get to have with each of my staff. And that is seven, including myself. So I got six. And I know as we grow, I'm valuing and cherishing the moments I get to spend with my staff now because I know as we grow, I'm not going to be able to have that time with them just based on, you know, the growth. And so, yeah, Haley, I totally agree with that. It's I value that that one on one time with each of my staff because you want to see them grow. You want to see them succeed. And that is truly another piece of the puzzle as well. You know, it's interesting, you know, Haley, what I heard you say, the, what I really touched on for me is that once you felt like there was someone taking care of you too, then <laughs> you, all of a sudden your capacity to be able to help everybody else just expanded and grew. And you really felt like not only 
you know, do I have the capacity to do it? But I know it's what I'm supposed to be doing. And I, and I can feel good about doing, about supporting everybody else because it's okay that that is what I'm supposed to be doing. Mm-hmm. Well, you talk about you didn't have time to do a lot of micromanaging, and I would argue that's probably a good thing. That means <laughs> right. that you surrounded yourselves with the right people that right. you can entrust to do the job. And yes, obviously you want to have rapport and you want to help them develop and to be the best version of themselves as you can within your work structure. But I saw a historical a comic strip. It was just a single box and a gentleman's leaning over behind somebody typing and says, no, micromanager is supposed to be hyphenated. <laughs> that is so perfect. Right? <laughs> That's fine. Well, the other thing that I heard, you know, you say that I thought was just a different way of, of saying what Frank had said as well. So you don't have time to micromanage, but that means that you also are giving the people the freedom to take risks, mm-hmm. the freedom to fail, the freedom to, to dare, right? And that daring yeah. greatly is what takes the courage. It's yep. very empowering. Yep. yep. So if we're crystal balling and you look down the road, I know, Frank, you said you've already gone from 200 participants to 300 in, in your short time and that you're looking to expand that. Like, what are your goals? What are your targets? If you had your way and you could grow this to where you want, what does it look like a few years down the well, road? Well, it's kind of what you said earlier. You know, there's a we don't want to exist forever. You know, we should be doing our best and poverty and whether that's a structure and we're not an advocacy organization. But I do envision the future of our organization doing some advocacy work because, as as Sarah so rightly pointed out, it's the social systems and the social structures that continue the inequity. So how, what can we do as an organization to drive that and to really maybe let our outcomes speak to the work ahead and say, look what we've accomplished? Because quite honestly, and, and this is a fact, the work that the nonprofits and the social services within Pima County over the last uh, 20 years, poverty has actually had an uptick. So what does that say? Right. You know, we're, we're doing all of this great work, but it's it's poverty is actually increasing Still in our county. So what can what what do we need to do differently in order to end poverty while still having the great work that we're doing? And that's a conversation I just can't have. Right? Meaning. I, the it's conversation a, needs to happen, it's an open but the solution question. is it's going to take some time to really think through that. So my goal is start those conversations, have job path not exist in 15 years. You know, I don't want to help 1,500 participants every year. We should be helping 20, and then it's like, okay, well, then this our work's done. You know, let's get these 20 and, and be done and have a staff of one to do this. You know, I think one of the um, things that maybe we focus on to help start making that shift, which is obviously a huge shift and, you know, some ways in the future is, you know, you talked about the the ripple effect, right? And so for every dollar that's invested, um, you know, what does that return in resources, you know, back to the community? And so that's just more wealth. So we're, we're, we're wealth building. And so when you're thinking about the, the people who are where, where the wealth is already concentrated, it's like, we're, there's more to come. You know, it's not, it's not a a take from here. And now all of a sudden you have less, but you know, you can feel good about helping someone. It's like, no, you invest the money and there's more for everybody. And that's, I think a big, mindset shift because again getting back to scarcity versus abundance and where people think that there's some fixed pie and everyone has to protect themselves and protect their own assets as opposed to investing not only because it's the a good thing to do which is 
you know, the reason to do it, but because it grows for you too. And well, let me mm-hmm. add one statistic to that really quick. So over the last 13 years, I mentioned the 600 million economic impact, positive impact in the county. What I didn't tell you is the other half of it, a reduction of over 4 million in public assistance. So it's exactly what you're saying. It's not a, it's not a handout. It's a hand up. Yep. Better mm-hmm. way to spend the money. Yep. It's an invest, long-term investment. So what I heard you say, Frank, is that you're open-minded to where this journey is going to take you, that the programs you have that are in service right now as we're speaking, two years from now, that might have a totally different formula because you're asking this open-ended question, how are we going to address right. our poverty challenge and not answer the question, how do I make this program better? Right. We know the short-term need will always be there. But again, what I'd like to see is where we're filling those needs uh, with the local talent that we have in this county uh, and lowering poverty to the point where you're eliminating it. Makes sense. Haley, how about you? You're crystal balling down the road. What does it look like? And I understand that direct, in my words, is mm-hmm. is more about the, the whole person and the special needs and employment is just one dynamic of that. Yes. Um, but with that said, I mean, what... What does it look like? Where where could you take this? Well, not to like echo Frank, but I think we're also pretty open, one, to just seeing how this acquisition unfolds. And it's unfolding very nicely. I mean, I think it's worked out really well. Um, and then just seeing the opportunities that arise from it. And then I'm still learning. Um, I work for the executive director, Vicki Casino, who I really enjoy and she's a great visionary. I think she's got lots of ideas and I'm still, you know, piecing together all these other programs that I'm managing. But ultimately, you know, we want to help people with disabilities live the most independent lives possible. And so there's lots of other programs that Direct does do and they do provide direct services even though the linkages program does not. Um, But You know, I did want to add this statistic just to go off of how it is good business. And that's really um, all my work with linkages. I've always felt that way. And that's probably why it was always so easy to show up um, because it was never a forced like I didn't have to force myself to think this is the right thing or, you know, it just makes so much sense. Not only is it the right thing and it can feel good, but business wise, um, 92% of people favored businesses that hire people with disabilities. So it's, it's good business there. You're going to get more customers who are loyal to you. And then people with disabilities have over $200 billion in discretionary spending. So I think sometimes we just forget that people with disabilities can, you know, they have choices to make and where they spend and they, well, they have lots of ability and they have the ability to choose where they're going to spend that money. And why would they spend it with a business if, you know, they don't feel accepted or supported? So it's just a smart business decision. That makes perfect sense. So I just curious, um, just with the different companies that you either interact with through your, you know, through, you know, your agencies or um, that you as a consumer interact with, what are some of your favorite examples of good business or good business partners? 
just off the bat, you know, our two biggest programs are the nursing program, which is at Pima Community College, and the aviation technology program, which is also at Pima Community College. So I know you're asking for business, but I would just say right off the bat, our our best partner is Pima College. You know, so they they provide the training. We have great relationships with them, longstanding relationships since we've been there for 20 years with them. And um, and we're starting to build some really, we already have strong relationships with some of our employers, particularly in those two industries, uh, or those two sectors, those two programs. But what we would like is to really think more holistically and think, what can we work, how can we work together to really develop or devise a long-term strategic plan on where it becomes a really nice pipeline uh, of bringing great talent to each of the each of their businesses. So I would say it starts off with Pima College, great relationship, and then it ex- and then it's going to map itself out, web itself out into these other industries where we have great relationships, but we haven't really taken the step to think about how can we make it a stronger relationship. Yeah, I like that because you're again looking at a, a system. So you know yes. we're each kind of different cogs, and we serve. You know, we we have our different roles and, you know, where we fit within a supply chain or a system, whatever you want to say. But how do you strategically plan together, again, to be more, you know, more efficient? Where do you partner Mm -hmm. to become, you know, more efficient, like, you know, becoming a part of direct because, you know, they have this big umbrella of services and now you fit into that as opposed to, you know, working on your own. So I think, you know, including, you know, Prima College, but then also including industry and and strategically planning together and that way industry is looking forward at what their needs are you're tapped in and you're not you know three steps behind where you were serving you know where industry was you know five years ago and to put some language of conscious capitalism on the table again we call that stakeholder orientation or stakeholder integration well so your example with pima college you're a stakeholder to them you're program participants are actually going to be the students. You are a conduit, so it makes perfect sense that you guys would collaborate with intention and find a way to both help one another. Absolutely. Because your missions are overlapping in that space, and so it's a conscious dynamic to let's work together. Yep. That's perfect. Well, and to really figure out what are the barriers in and getting through those like we had a good success story with a call center in town um this happened last summer they made a call center program that was part-time all the way from training which often the training is full-time and it's kind of like well if someone needs part-time work there's a there's a reason um and so they hired someone um, to build this program for for them who came from kind of more our industry, the agency industry, and knew the people. Um, and they were able to hire over 40 people with disabilities within like a month and a half. Holy cow. And that's possible if you get the right players at the table right. and you're willing to talk about, okay, what is the barrier? Well, we can't do your part-time call center position when the training is full time. So how do we set up those hours and make sure, you know, transportation, it's on the bus system. And so a lot of times I think, and maybe Frank would agree, like our ourselves or our team can, you know, help voice some of that and offer up solutions because we have seen other businesses get it right. I would agree. 
Yeah. <laughs> Again, another example of systems and things that are set up, social system structures that people, it's so easy to overlook, and yet they're huge barriers for people who are eager and willing and mm-hmm. able to get out there and do it. We just have to have someone stop and look, ask the question, and be willing to, to, to do something about it. Mm-hmm. Plug them in. Did we not get a chance to ask you any questions about your personal and um, vocational stories that you want to share? Well, just briefly, I think because, you know, this is conscious capitalism before 2010. So I won't go into all the details, but I was floundering. I, I, I had a good job. I was doing consulting work, loved it. I loved being in front of an audience and, and doing training, but there was something missing. And, and because of the recession of all things, I had a career shift and I landed at Pima College about two years after that. And when I got to Pima College and saw the students I was serving or the students that were trying to get into these, they just wanted success and they looked like me. And I was like, I found my calling after that. And that conscious capitalism from that point forward was I knew where I needed to be. I knew where I wanted to go. And the direction it took me was was tremendous and I I feel blessed every day how job path came to my way and the work that we're doing has been tremendous but you're talking 2010 I was 40 and I did not know where I wanted to go getting to Pima College just changed the trajectory of my life that's awesome you're not alone in that my friends yeah, the power of purpose, not just in business, but for us as uh, as individuals. And I think, you know, Haley, you mentioned how important that was for you, too, and that you had you have felt connected, you know, to a mm-hmm. sense of personal purpose through linkages and, and, you know, now with direct. Absolutely. And I just think there's more to come. I'm so excited and I feel like I haven't always had the right words during this interview, but I think it's because I am. I'm just in learning mode and sponge mode and trying to absorb it all. But I'm excited to see what um, comes for linkages and direct and how we can just better the lives of people with disabilities. So thank you for this opportunity. Yeah, thank you so much for coming. I mean, we really appreciate it. And I think you've been perfect. (laughs) And the the passion that you have and the message that you conveyed, um, you know, we're very happy to be able to, you know, to share it. So thank you, Haley. And thank you, Panchito, (laughs) for being, you know, on the show with us. Yeah, we appreciate you being here and all the good work that you're doing and being a part again of this bigger business community because again we, we're all exchanging value very important roles um, you know business couldn't do what it needed to do if we didn't have you know partners out there as well that's right well, thank you for having me I greatly appreciate it and sharing job past story is what I want to do thank you it's great and by the way curiosity is that's not a bad attribute by any stretch <laughs> if everybody approached their day with curiosity with an intent on how am I going to do it better than yesterday we'd be in a good spot <laughs> Uh, okay, a couple things uh, we'd like everybody to know about. If you want to dig into the Conscious Capitalism community a little bit further, we've got a great uh, opportunity coming up Thursday, March 28th at Goodman's. We are excited to be doing a collaboration between Conscious Capitalism and Local First Arizona. We're starting a new um, education series that we're calling Rising the Tides, which is all about building community equity. 
And uh, the focus of this event is going to be stakeholder orientation. We've got Adam Goodman of Goodman's is going to be presenting and sharing his story. And Gina Murphy-Darling of Mrs. Green's World are going to give us some firsthand examples. We're going to give a lot of information about um, how you would go about embodying some of these uh, principles of stakeholder orientation into the workplace Monday morning when you when you show back up and the rubber hits the road. So that's March 28th. Uh, let's see. That's uh, all our social media. You can find information on how to register for that. Um, also want to continue to let everybody know that the International Conference for Social... Uh, for Social... No. For Conscious Capitalism is uh, April 23rd through the 25th in Phoenix at the Sheridan Wild Horse Pass. Uh, and anybody interested in that, again, seek Sarah or myself out. We can give you some more information uh, and hope you get some uh, some access. Uh, what else we got? Uh, oh, no, oh, next just, podcast. Yeah, next podcast, March 26th. So, you know, tune in live if you want to, you know, hear it firsthand. Or, of course, we're always uh, on demand. You can listen to us over and over That's and over. Right. Just go I to Tucson Business Radio you? X. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> Thanks, everyone. <laughs>